Welcome back to Chop Talk, everybody. This is your host, Greg Fahey. Today on the podcast, we have our first head coach on Chop Talk. Very excited. That head coach is Matt Healing, the head coach at Pace University. Matt, how are you? I'm doing well, Greg. Thank you. Honored to be on the show. Yeah, well, it's been a it's been a long time since uh, since you you've known me, so it's uh, it's an honor to have you on the show. Thank you. Absolutely. Can you uh, can you give a little background for the people for the people listening? Matt was uh, my assistant coach when I was in high school, so that's when we initially met. So he's probably known me since I was like 17. Um, but can you give people a little background on how you got into the coaching world and and how you got to where you are now? Sure, absolutely. And like you said, uh, got started in the business uh, about a year or so out of college. Uh, first job was at Randolph High School. Um, so out of all the people you're ever going to have on this show, as it progresses throughout time, I'm sure I'll be the only one that got to coach you in high school. Yep, but, yep, uh, yep. But, uh, but yeah, started my career at Randolph High School, had a great experience there for a couple of years, uh, moved into the college ranks, uh, loved my time in Division Three. that's where I started. Uh, started at Vassar College and Centenary University, spent some time there. Uh, was able and fortunate enough to move into the Division One ranks. Uh, was a director of operations at NJIT, working for Jim Engels. Um, had a great time there. And then from there, was fortunate to move to Pace, first as an assistant for a couple of years and then as head coach for the last five years. So it's been uh, it's been quite a journey, but nothing I'd trade. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, like we just said, you started at Randolph, and it's kind of a crazy story, and I wanted to make sure I talked about this just because for, for me, I look back at it, and it's a, a great example of how everything in life happens for a reason because our coach – for those listening, got fired my junior year, or yeah, I think it was or sophomore year. I can't remember one of one of those years. And and you came in, and then you were coaching us in the summer. Matt was coaching us in the summer. Matt was coaching us in the fall. Still haven't hired a head coach. My friend uh, Shabo uh, and and I went to board of ed meetings, tried to get Matt hired. Randolph was just on some BS, and they ended up going a different way. And you didn't get the job. And that was you know, now you look nine years later. Or no, really, it was like seven years later because you've been the head coach for a few years now. You're a head coach at Division Two. Yeah, yeah. And again, I, I loved my experience at Randolph. Uh, it's a great school. Um, uh, looking back at it now, I mean, when they decided to change coaches and and I didn't get the head coaching job there, um, you know, obviously I was only coaching at that time for one year, so uh, maybe it would have been a stretch. But I certainly was flattered that you guys thought highly enough of me after being around you guys for a year and coaching you as an assistant for a year that you felt inclined to try and push me into that position. And, um, remember interviewing for it was certainly excited about it. It would have been a tremendous opportunity, but everything happens for a reason. And, and coach Bill Kildove got the job and, and, uh, I believe that was your senior year. Correct. And yeah. we had, uh, you know, certainly a moderate level of success and it was a fun season. And, uh, Again, just a just a good experience. Yeah, no, it was. And and the one thing, um, could you tell some of the, the especially the younger guys that listen to this, some of the jobs you were working while doing that? Because, you know, my first job out of college while I was coaching at St. Benedict's, I, I shined shoes at Baltusrol mm-hmm. Golf Club. And I remember you were working down at Shangham Lake. And I just want people to understand, like, the hustle behind coaching and the odd jobs just to make it work. Oh yeah, yeah. Those first couple of years, especially at the uh, at the high school level, 
just uh, a lot of odds and end jobs. Uh, a lot of it revolved around education. So I was uh, substitute teaching uh, during the school year. I hopped on uh, the football staff, coaching staff at Montclair Kimberly Academy was there coaching uh, uh, the offensive and defensive lines. Uh, I was a softball coach, assistant softball coach at Mount Olive High School. And, uh, and you mentioned in the summers I was the beach director at Shangham Lake Training Lifeguards. So, yep. um, you know, trying to do a bunch of things to supplement income while getting started out in the business. But, uh, but like you said, I've heard tons of stories about people working at supermarkets, working at Lowe's, um, you know, shining shoes, you know, whatever, whatever it takes to make a buck or two to keep the dream alive, I think you got to do in those early years. Yeah, and, and I think it's also about time too. whatever job you can be out by two, three o'clock so you can still go and coach. Of course, of course. I mean, that's, you know, if you're committed to the to the profession and that's what you want to do, um, you know that there's a means to an end, right? And you, uh, you know, you really got to find ways to create time for yourself. And obviously you're trying to make money, but you're also trying to do things that give you time to do what you really want to do and chase your dream of being a basketball coach. Yeah, and you coach football and softball. And I talked about this on the last podcast or the time before that. I coached high school lacrosse, just coaching different sports too. You can kind of pick up different drills or, or you can see things a different way to bring onto the basketball court. Yeah, and being in the, being in the business for long enough now, uh, it's great to be around coaches at any level, and you see different communication mm-hmm. strategies, different ways to build relationships with players. Um, so I think all of that was important in my growth. I'm sure you probably feel the same for yourself, like you said. So, um, you know, I think that's huge. Yeah, I agree. So then you you got into Division Three. You said you loved your time in Division Three. I spent some time in D3 as well. What what did you take from that D three experience? Because when you're when you're in D three, you got to wear a lot of hats. So I feel like it it's a great experience for young guys starting out. Division three, um, it really prepares you for everything that coaching at the collegiate level is all about. I wouldn't trade that time for anything. Um, you learn about how to how to. Uh, book meals at that level where you're on such a strict budget where everybody you call, you're making deals with trying to bargain for an extra quarter or 50 yeah. cents off a meal. Yep. Cause you know, it's going to save you a few hundred bucks. You, you learn about, Hey, I got to do laundry at all hours of the night. Um, you're wearing a lot of hats for sure. And I think that that's a great way to start is to learn all the ins and outs of what a basketball program at that level is all about. Um, one of my stops at Centenary, I was also assistant sports information director. So I thought that was that was so important for my development. Again, just learning about everything on that end. And I was attending games as an assistant coach, being a part of everything that we would do. And then when the game was over, not only having to watch the film or cut things up or prepare for the next game or, or recruit, uh, but also write the game story for mm-hmm. our team and for other teams. And, um, you know, it was uh, – Again, it was an important piece of my development, but love that Division Three time of, of being able to do a bunch of different things. Yeah. Did, did you have to go to, like, other, other games too, like softball or other games on campus and write game recaps, like, throughout the year, or was it just for winter sports? No, it was, uh, it, it was really all the sports. So I was assistant sports information director, 
and we had our sports information director, and we basically split up the teams uh, evenly with each of us taking a certain amount of teams. So I didn't have the men's team. I actually had the women's team, but most of the games were double headers. So mm-hmm. after the men's game, I would wind up having to write a recap about the women's basketball game. And during the soccer game or field hockey game, not only was I there to uh, keep the stats, I was also the PA announcer. So I'm PA <laughs> announcing for a game, a soccer game on the field. And then as soon as that was over, I have to run inside for practice. And then as soon as that was over, I have to go and write a game story. And as soon as that was over, I have to do laundry for our basketball team. Um, you know, it was a lot. But I think those are the things that come with the territory early in your career. Yeah, they really do. And for people that don't know what or how much work an SID position is, sports information director, it's a lot of work. It's every stop I've been at, those dudes are always working long hours because you, you can't you can't do your work till the game is done a lot of the times because you have to write the game recap. And then everyone's busting your chops if you have a spelling error, you know, and stuff like that. <laughs> so it's, right. it's yeah, it's a, it's a, almost like a thankless position. But I, I agree, my time D3, same thing. Uh, the meals are huge, just learning how to travel. And, and, and you get to recruit basically any time of the year, which I felt like was huge. Definitely, definitely. You learn uh, all the ins and outs of all that. And, uh, you know, it prepares you for the next step. Yeah. And then from there, you went to be an ops guy, correct? Correct. I went from a full-time assistant at Vassar College, uh, which was my last D3 stop, and then wound up as the ops guy uh, working for Jim Engels at NJIT. Yep. And then, so now you're the ops guy. I'm an ops guy now. Um, When you first got to the ops position and you were off the floor, uh, because, you know, ops guys can't be on the floor, at least now. I don't know how it was back then. But was that an adjustment for you? It was. It was. I was fortunate enough when I took the ops job, and this was one of the biggest selling points to me. You know, I took a full-time job at Vassar and left that to move into, um, you know, a part-time position, really, even though, you know, it's whether you're volunteering or part-time, everything's full-time yep. in college basketball. Um, you know, part of that was because I believed in Coach Engels and his vision um, of the program there, but it was also because they were down a couple of a couple of assistants, and I was going to be able to fill in as an assistant coach for the short term. So oh, I got okay. hired in April or May of, of that year, and that summer I was able to go out on the road. I went to Vegas. I went to Myrtle Beach. Oh, wow. uh, worked out our guys in the summertime, um, so we had a you know we had an assistant on medical leave, and then he had one open spot that was you know going to be filled later in the summer. So uh, it was a great opportunity for me to to really even start kind of as an assistant coach, and then once our staff filled out in the uh, you know after the summer going into the season, uh, and I you know I guess quote unquote got bumped back down into that position. It was a little bit of an adjustment. It was tough. But I think, again, those years of being a Division three assistant, too, they prepare you for no job is, is too small. And whether it's to uh, prepare uh, uh, assistant coaches and head coaches for practice or the players for practice or whether to be out there to instruct, either way, you know that you're a big part of everything that's going on and take whatever task you have and run with it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really – it comes down to your mindset and, and just being – I mean, just being in Division One basketball, we're all, you know, we're all lucky. Just being in basketball in general, we're all lucky. But especially, it speaks volumes that you left a part-time spot 
to go, or excuse me, you left a full-time spot to go to a part-time spot. It was, and was that, was that basically because it was division one that had, was that a hard decision or was that a no brainer? Uh, I wouldn't say it was a no brainer. Um, when the position first came up and I, I interviewed for it, um, again, I just was so blown away by coach Engels and, and uh, what they had to offer there and his vision for the program. And we had a very successful season. Uh, we won our conference championship, and it seemed like they were so close to getting into a higher-level conference, which mm-hmm. obviously they're now in. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and the success that they've had over the years. Um, so it was a little bit of a difficult decision from a money standpoint. But I think if you're going to base things on, on money in this business, especially in those early years, you're doing yourself a disservice. Um, I did listen to some of your previous podcasts, and I, I heard somewhere in there, either from you or one of your guests, that uh, taking volunteer jobs uh, in college basketball is very underrated. And I, I can't agree more with that. I think that a lot of the development that I've had is because I was willing to take risks. I didn't say, hey, this job pays uh, $10,000 and this job pays $20,000 or this pays zero and this has a stipend of 10. So obviously I should go with the stipend of 10. It was what's going to help my development? Right. What head coach do I you know, believe in? Um, what could make me a better coach in the long run? So those are questions that I constantly had to ask myself. Um, when I first went to Vassar, you know, I took a volunteer position there and I had a paid opportunity from Centenary. Um, and I went up to, I went up to Vassar cause I thought that that was the better mm-hmm. opportunity. It was a little bit riskier, but I thought taking risks was, uh, really a, a road to success in our business. I, and, uh, I agree. you know, just fortunate enough that it's, uh, you know, continued to work out. No, I, I totally agree. And I think that was me that I said volunteer volunteering is underrated. Just like you volunteered, I volunteered at Providence. I was 27 years old, moved and, and didn't care. And and I, I do think it's underrated. I think it's underrated in, in any industry. If I wanted to be uh, a, a big time accountant, and I, I would go volunteer under the biggest accountant I could find and say, hey, can I drive you around and get your coffee? Because the more you know, you're around people like that, you might just pick up little things and stuff that's invaluable, you know? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And even at, uh, at NJIT, you know, I say part-time, I mean, that was basically volunteer as well. And mm-hmm. I think you build a reputation as a worker, you build a reputation as a guy that gets the business and gets the bigger picture. And, um, it was difficult. I mean, like you're saying, you know, I was late in my twenties as I was uh, continuing to do some of those things. Um, getting married. I was engaged at the time. They were difficult decisions to make, but you also, again, have to have eyes on the bigger picture. And I certainly am I'm just so thankful that I had the fortitude at the time to take some of those risks. Definitely. And, and the bigger picture is definitely something you have to keep in mind, especially as you get into your late twenties, when everybody, everyone of your friends is getting married. Some of them are having kids, they're buying houses and, and you're taking a job for 10 grand or, or volunteering, um, it, it takes, like you just said, men, mental fortitude, fortitude. Um, I, I, and I, and I think it just takes being confident in yourself. Definitely. I mean, the first time when I was a little bit younger in my twenties that I, you know, took that first risk to take, you know, some less money to, to really put myself on a, on a path in the business was mm-hmm. easier. The one later in my twenties, like you're saying, you know, to go from, from you know the full-time spot to basically volunteering um, while being engaged and, and having to max out all your credit cards just to <laughs> just to survive 
uh, you know, that time, I mean, certainly, certainly challenges you, but again, just, yeah, like you said, you just, you got to stay the course. And that's, you know, I think a lot of people in this business get separated by those moments and, and the ability to keep moving forward. They definitely do. They definitely get separated and, and it takes guts to, you know, run up those credit cards and be, be willing to see long-term and say, I'm going to be able to pay that off. And it, and it did pay off because you ended up getting to pace and, and getting the head job at pace. But so how did you, how did you inver- get to pace first as an assistant? How'd you get involved there? We had a, we had a tremendous staff at NJIT. Um, from that staff, we have three scholarship level head coaches. Uh, obviously coach Engels is now at Columbia. Uh, Brian Kennedy um, who was an assistant on that staff, who's now the head coach at NJIT and myself all on that staff together. But, uh, you know, Coach Kennedy, Brian Kennedy was an assistant then. His uncle, Pat, had just got the job at Pace and um, thought that it would be a good fit. He kind of connected us there. Um, I know I had just taken a couple positions where, you know, I was a little bit, uh, you know, took some less money. Uh, here is a, you know, back to a full-time mm-hmm. opportunity that be- had become available. I had just gotten married and um, again, loved my time at NJIT. It was, you know, one of the best groups of players and coaches I had been around. I um, certainly wasn't eager to leave there, and I know um, Coach Engels uh, didn't want me to go, but was supportive of the opportunity. And uh, like I said, I mean, just just knowing Brian Kennedy and my time with Rob Kennedy at the Hoop Group, um, you know, getting connected to uh, to Pat, and uh, met with Pat about the full time assistant job at Pace. Hired me on the spot after wow. we met. We had a great talk, and uh, and yeah, started there as an assistant. Uh, yeah, that's that that's great. And you were going to one of the top D two conferences in the country, in my opinion, which which you want to compete at the highest level and coach at the highest level. Yeah, I, again, you know, I thought that was a unique opportunity too. I had been in high school. I had been in Division three. I had been in Division one. Um, didn't know a ton totally about the division two landscape and, and, you know, some of that stuff. So in researching it and learning more about pace and the Northeast 10 conference, you know, it just seemed like such a home run. And I was so excited about the position and, uh, you know, pace sells itself. I mean, it's a great campus and a great academic institution and um, probably one of the best, if not the best division two basketball conference in the country from top to bottom. So, it was uh, it was a great opportunity. Definitely was, and and it's it's a great education there. One of my my buddies, actually Shabo's brother Sam, he graduated from Pace and is doing really well with his accounting degree. So it's it's definitely a great a great spot to to go to school. So you're an assistant I there. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure how many Shabo references we'd get on the call. Yeah, yeah, just just two, just two, just <laughs> just two. Shout nice. out Shabo. Um, yeah, and it's it, but um, when you uh, so your head coach. They, they they part ways with him and then you get bumped up uh to the to the head spot. What what do you think helped you get bumped up? Because as you know, a lot of times when a school goes a different way, they don't bump up the assistant. Or even when uh a coach is successful and gets another job, it's hard for an assistant to get bumped up. You see it all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, certainly was so thankful that they uh, thought, again, highly enough of me and, and the work I was doing to to think of me for the position when it became available. Um, 
I'd like to think that just the, the work and the relationships that, you know, I had built on campus with our players, um, with people on campus uh, that could be deans of students, res life directors, uh, financial aid, uh, compliance, whoever it might be, just trying to do the right thing. You know, we didn't have a ton of success those, those years where I was an assistant, but, you know, tried to stay positive, tried to stay upbeat, tried to, you know, keep us together in the best way possible. And um, like I said, when they, uh, when they approached me about the position after they made the change, it was, uh, it was flattering. And obviously just at that point, full steam ahead to try and get it. Mm -hmm. And in relationships on campus, you just mentioned it. I think it's huge, but, but how big is that, especially as a head coach to have relationships on campus? It's huge. It's huge. Um, you're the face of the program now, and I think you have to be as much as you can try and be involved in all aspects. And it just builds, right? Like when you're a Division three assistant, we talked about being involved in, in all aspects of the program. And now that you're a head coach, you really want to be involved in all aspects of the school as much as you can. Mm -hmm. So it just expands that to a different level. Um, you know, whether, like I said, whether that's admissions or any of the departments on campus, sports information, financial aid, uh, res life, um, you know, you want to build relationships with everybody who's around there. That goes with players. That goes for coaches. Um, relationships are, are, are everything. That's where you build your, your resume. Yeah. You, know, you have a resume on paper, but probably the more important resume is how people view you uh, on your campus, off your campus in the coaching fraternity. So, you know, that stuff stays with you. And, uh, you know, you try and try and do the right thing. You try and be a good a good citizen and, and try and have that be as positive as it can be. Yeah, that's great advice. The, the people, the way people view you and in, in the relationships you have with them is the ultimate resume. And I think that if you have high-level relationships on campus before you need something, that just helps way more when the time comes when you might need an extra bed for a dorm or compliance. You might need a little help with a, a an arms form or you might need a little help from the dean, whatever it might be. If you have that relationship already established, then it doesn't feel as weird when you ask. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I think I'd like to think that was a big reason to, you know, why I was able to get the position at pace was, you know, people want to work with good people, you know, so mm -hmm. just the work you put in, the, the positivity that you have, um, you know, I think that goes a long way. Yeah, they, they probably went to bat for you when, when that opportunity came up. What, was there an, an interview process or was it kind of like came up, talked, and, and we're going to bump you up? What was that process like? Yeah, I mean, I interviewed for it. Um, so there was an interview process. Uh, when I first got hired, it was on an interim basis for the year. Okay. Um, so, you know, I was interim coach that first year and then moved into the position permanently after that. But, uh, you know, but again, it was uh, certainly a, a tough time overall. You know, working for Ken uh, Coach Kennedy was a good experience. Um, but like I said, once once I felt like and once I knew that there was interest in me in the position and you know, I had mentioned when I was at NJIT, I just got married, and now we had just had our first our first child. It was, you know, it was uh, full speed ahead to try, you know, everything everything I could to, uh, from a reference standpoint, from uh, you know, using those resources on campus 
to uh, you know to solidify that. Right. So, and and you're trying to get this head job, and, and you're you're using your references. Is there anything that you brought with the, the interview? Because a lot of people they talk about coaches' packets, or they'll talk about a sheet to bring, or or did you just go right off the top of your head? What was it like the night before, the couple of days before, when you were preparing for it? Yeah, I felt like I had a pretty comprehensive resume, uh, along with all the typical things that go into what would be in a normal head coaching uh, resume packet, right, for your first 60 or 90 days to uh, practice plans to philosophies and values and how you want to build a program and recruiting ties and all of those things that go into that. But, again, I, I think it came – like, I thought that my – my quote-unquote packet was good, mm-hmm. but I'm sure that everybody has a good packet, right? I mean, it comes down to, again, just how you – the relationships you build. Like, I didn't – I wasn't bumped up to, to head coach because of my packet, right? Right, right, right. I, I would bet you that, that most positions, you know, whatever that number is, 90% of people are not hired by, um, you know, how good their packet looks or how good their – their action plan is compared to somebody else's action plan. It's all about relationships. It's about how you carry yourself. It's about, um, you know, what people, how people perceive your, your work, your, your loyalty, your, you know, you as a person, you know, they want to, they want to know that you could be the face of the program. You can sell our program. You're going to be a a representative of our program and university. Um, So I think for me, those things were, were sold and people on campus were sold um, by, you know, two years worth of resume building on campus, like I said, by the interactions that you have. Yeah, and I think I think that's under undervalued that sometimes coaches forget the administrators want to be comfortable and trust you that you're going to be a good representation because, let's face it, we're in gyms, AAU tournaments, you're crossing paths with thousands of people every year with that, that PACE logo on your on your chest so they want to be able to be proud of who's in charge and they want you they don't want you getting in a road rage incident or arguing with someone you know with that that pace logo on or any university's logo on i think that's something that people really got to step back and realize that these administrators want their university represented the correct way of course you know especially especially at the division two level you know if if we were Kentucky or, 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 you know, some uh, Louisville, some crazy high major division one institution, it might come down more to what, how many games have you won in the past? Mm-hmm. How quickly are you going to get us to a national championship? Me taking over a program that was five and 23 and had not seen success in recent years at all. It was more about, listen, you know, we, we've tried a lot of quick fixes. We need to just build the program from the ground up. We need good people that work hard, that want to buy into something bigger than themselves. And, and it wasn't going to take a year or two. It took us, it took us three years, really, to, to get the ball moving in, in that direction. But we built it the right way. You know, we, we built it with the right kids and the right staff um, and, and, and with people having high GPAs and, and putting in the time and caring about each other. And not only have we won games here the last, you know, last couple of years, like we, we've had a blast. We've, we've had great kids. Mm-hmm. We've had great ties on campus with with everyone so it's been it's been such a tremendous experience and uh it's to me that goes hand in hand like you win because you have those things you know right. you win basketball games because you love being around the family that you have every day you win basketball basketball games because you have kids that care about putting the program first yep and and 
couldn't agree with all that more. Like you just said, you were five and twenty-three when you took over, and you just mentioned you built it the right way. What does the right way mean, or what does the right way look at, like look like to you in terms of like tangible things? If I'm if I'm a coach tomorrow, I'm taking over a five and twenty-three Division three program, a high school program. What what would you recommend that has been successful for you? If it was certain things that you did that put your position in your program in the position it is in today. I was fortunate enough for a lot of the stops I had as an assistant coach to, to feel like I was part of some really good families, mm-hmm. um, you know, in terms of, of the way the program was viewed by those head coaches that I worked for Del Harris at Vassar, mm-hmm. uh, Enrico Mastriani uh, at Centenary, uh, obviously Jim at NJIT and, yep. and, you know, I wanted to make sure that we had a really tight-knit bond uh, as a group and as a unit. So we tried to recruit, obviously, people that were not only good players, but um, I brought in a staff, and I think we have a great staff now. Um, Ed Ryan, John Mercedes, Sean Ragathi, they all do uh, a great job for us here at Pace. But those guys are also, like, close friends. Like, we – we battle together. We love each other. We are together all the time. Um, so I thought that putting a, a staff like that together right away, and I've had great, great assistance in the past. I thought that was vital. And then bringing in the right kids, uh, looking for guys that are captains of their teams, looking for guys that, um, again, talent. We all look for talent, but we also look for intangibles. So try to put a premium on intangibles tried to put a premium on winning players, players from programs that have seen a lot of success. It's not a surprise to me that we've also um, done well as we've gotten players from Long Island Lutheran and Christ the King and Lincoln and um, some of these different programs that have been really successful and have come from some really good coaching uh, already. So just try to put all that together into a mix of, of people and, and players and coaches that, uh, would mesh well, and uh, and again, we did that the right way. You know, we didn't bring in a ton of transfers. A few years ago, we had eight wins, mm-hmm. um, and I felt like that was the first year that we really took a step forward because that year we started three freshmen and a sophomore, mm-hmm. and we won eight games, but I think we lost, I think it was ten games by eight or less points. Right. So, like, we were You're in close. It. We built the family together, and I think as we've grown together these last few years, uh, we've grown we've grown closer and I think the results show, but just how close we are uh, and how strong our culture is, is showing. Yeah. And it's definitely about the, it goes back to relationships on campus and and knowing the right people and, and being, being, having that relationship with people. It goes back to the people. If you have a great staff where no one's like, Oh, that's my recruit. This is my recruit. Or they're arguing over different things or they're talking behind each other's back. If you have a great staff, then that's just going to make everything easier and you're going to have fun, like you just said. And if you have the right kids, that just adds to the fire. Um, but finding the right kids is obviously tough that you have to go through a, a process of, of recruiting. Are there some non-negotiables that you're like, I, no, I'm not taking them because of this? Or are there some turnoffs that a kid, how a kid acts or, or how a kid, a kid plays? Like, What are some things that you, you, you just don't like in, in, a, in a recruit? Oh, there's definitely some non-negotiables. Uh, I'm sure you and your staff feel the same way, but going to see kids, and it doesn't matter how talented they are, if you're complaining to an official, talking back to your coach, not hustling back on defense, uh, clearly caring about your own success, 
much more than your teammates' success. I mean, those things show through when you watch somebody live. Mm-hmm. I try try and get out as much as possible, you know, to see kids live, right? I mean, so yep. it's, you know, it's so hard right now with the pandemic and, and people are taking people off film all over the place, <clears throat> you know? I mean, obviously, that's a great way to start the recruitment process, but you've got to feel good about seeing a kid live and knowing those finer details because, to me, that's where you can get burned as a coach a little bit is, is hey, this guy looks – he looks talented as heck, you know, he's, he can, he can score at all three levels and he, you know, his footwork is great and, you know, he, you know, whatever. Um, but then you get out there and you watch him, you watch him at halftime, you watch him come out of a puddle, you watch him during warmups or afterwards. And you realize this kid's disconnected from the team. You mm-hmm. know, the coach is talking to him, but he's staring the opposite way, not even acknowledging, him. you know, different things like that, that, um, you know, you really got to kind of sort through to make sure you're getting the right kids. So, you know, that goes a lot with what we had talked about previously with getting the right kids. But yeah, to me, all of those things are, are non-negotiables. Buy into your coach, um, playing through officials. You know, obviously, if you're easily um, distracted by that, that's a problem. Um, you know, and then you see things, too. You know, obviously, we're all getting tons, dozens of emails a day from yep, people right now yep. with video and all sorts of stuff like that. So, um, you know, just from a from a email standpoint since that's how things are starting to go a little bit more um obviously the mass emails are are tough to to sort through yeah, navigate. So all those mass mass emails you know there's there's also you know a point where emailing a coach too much is is tough right we we've had kids and we've probably all had it where they email the coaching staff and then they wait 24 hours and if they don't hear anything they email no, administration yeah. And they're like, hey, oh, wow. coaching staff hasn't got back to me in uh, a day or two. I just figured I'd reach out to you guys. Like, you know, there's things like that where you're like, all right, well, this this person probably isn't totally what we're looking for. Right, not, um, not great feel. So, you know, again, we just try and do our best to sort through that stuff to make sure we are getting the right players. Yeah, but for, for a recruit communicating with you, obviously that's not good. You email the, the uh, administration and stuff. But do you also pick up on things through if, if you're calling this kid – and it's a one-word conversation, or if you're texting him, he, he texts you back every three hours. Do you guys pick up on stuff like that, too, the way they communicate with you to show show interest in your program? Of course. Of course. I think that that is part of the total package, how they communicate, right? I mean, you might love the way a kid plays and all of these things, and you text the kid, and he always waits 24 hours to respond to you, and when he responds to you, it's, it's not much at that point you probably realize he's not that interested. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if he is, maybe he's spacey. So that could be a concern as well. But again, I, you know, everybody's circumstance is different. So it's, I try not to take that stuff too personally. Um, kids sometimes have a bunch of reasons why that doesn't happen. You want to know and get down to those details of, of why that's happening. You know, is this kid kind of like that? Does he have a phone issue? Does, you know, whatever it might be. Um, you kind of want to sift through that as best you can. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, communication is huge. I mean, there's been plenty of guys that we have crossed off our list because their communication via text or phone has not been appropriate. Um, you know, I think communication in a positive way is a good thing, but really what it comes down to more than anything to me is the getting to know the person on the court and off the court personally and how you feel about that as a head coach. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great point. And it all comes down to – Communication, just like you said, that one kid emailed administration. You and it's not just 
it's not just players. And I wanted to kind of ask this from your perspective too. When you have an opening on your staff and because in basketball, it's like blood in the water for sharks, right? They hear it's an opening and now you might have to put your, your phone on airplane mode just to, you know, have some family time or whatever it may be. But from a head coach's perspective, you probably already have an idea or maybe four or five guys that you're, you're thinking about hiring. But if you don't, is there a line that you you kind of, you know, if I'm trying to get a job with you, is there a line that you don't cross or, or whatever it may be for, for, for you in particular, if I'm trying to get on your staff and it's, you know, how what's the correct way about going that, that route? Or is it too much to hit you up five times a day? I'm sure you've dealt with this. Can you just speak on that? Yeah. Yeah, there's a fine line there for sure. Um, yeah, I think I think that's kind of like an audition in some ways for um, how you're, as a head coach, how you're going to view that person to, to build relationships on campus or with potential recruits, right? You know, if I feel like this person is overbearing during the recruiting process, how are people on campus going to feel about this person when they are asking questions around campus? Or how are our potential recruits or their families going to feel when this person is interacting with them. So it is a fine line. Obviously you want to, you want to know that they want the position. Uh, You want to know that they're excited about it and that they have a plan. So uh, it's a fine line, but that's what all this is about. It's about, it's about maintaining what's appropriate versus not appropriate, having a good sense Mm -hmm. of people and what buttons to press and how to build those relationships. For some people building a relationship might require constant attention you know and for some people building a relationship might require less of that so it's just about that feel of of, and navigation of of what's appropriate and what's too much for me personally um you know i like a little bit of that i like a little bit of that person that's that's eager and, and aggressive um i've been eager and aggressive for positions uh in the past myself but we obviously have to have a sense of awareness of right. self-awareness when okay i'm crossing the line now i've already reached out to this person in the morning i've already reached out to this person maybe later in the day yep. or i've had someone else reach out to this person two people today maybe it's not a good idea to have somebody call this guy at 10 o'clock at night as well right and leave another voicemail for the morning it's just <laughs> you know it's it's knowing and it's also important to know who you have reaching out on your behalf or mm. who you're reaching out to you know it's there's a lot that goes into that, a lot of different components, but uh, to me, it's just the self-awareness of, of you know, knowing the situation. Right. Self-awareness, definitely, definitely huge. So for the, for the ones that do break through and you got four guys on the table that you're looking to hire, what are some things you're looking for when you're hiring an assistant? Obviously, personal relationships will come, come into play right away. Do I know the person? Have I interacted personally with the person? What were those interactions like? Um, then from there, probably recommendation of people that you trust. Um, but again, I think a lot of it comes down to you know your own sense of that. There's been people that have applied for positions I've had on my staff, mm-hmm. and I specifically remember, you know, having interactions with them, and they weren't bad per se, but. Right. You know, if, I, if I've ever been at a recruiting event with you and you've complained about your head coach or the situation that you're in, why would I ever want to hire you for, for my staff? You know what I mean? Because there's challenges everywhere. So, you know, I, I think that's the first level of it is your own, 
you know, your own uh, history with the specific person. Um, and then if everything is equal, I think you're looking for, for hardworking guys, young guys that want to be head coaches that are loyal, that really have a history of owning their own position, their current position. I think too often people are looking to climb up the ladder. You know, I feel like I've moved up the ladder fast, I guess. I've been at, you know, I was at four schools and at every level by the time I was, you know, in my mid thirties. Um, Mm -hmm. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't because I was seeking that in some, you know, major way. You know, a lot of it just kind of unfolded that way. I think people that are looking past jobs, you can get a sense of that, um, you know, with maybe their track record or things you hear. So, you know, you want people that are going to embrace that. People that that believe in your vision. Um, people that, um, you know, build those relationships well. Obviously, recruiting ties are important. Yep. Uh, the positions I've had open, you know, I mean, those those guys that have had the right AAU programs reach out on their behalf, I think, has been vital, too. Obviously, showing that you have a pulse of, of the uh, type of kids that we're looking for here is important. Um, so, yeah, I mean, kind of a combination of all of those things. Yeah, it's and it's crazy how you could – I feel like head coach are, are pretty observant people, and just when you're on their recruiting trail – they might not, they might notice how you dress or how you interact with other people when you're not even interacting with them yet or like you said if they sit down and they're complaining about their head coach to you that's that's just that's i don't know that's wild to me to be honest it's uh it's kind of like you're you're complaining about the your your it's not like you are you're complaining about your boss to a guy that is a boss it just doesn't make sense I think all of that stuff comes down to it. You know, I, I, you know, there was, it could be anything, you know, I, I heard a story uh, not too long ago about a person, um, you know, position that had come open and somebody was going to hire somebody. And then they found out that they, you know, again, were, were not sincere on a resume. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I remember one of the, one of the people that was interested in the position I had, I remember him gloating one person specifically gloating about, um, you know, actually being golfing when the coach, head coach, had thought that they were out recruiting. You know, just oh, those things are just, you know, they stick with people, obviously. And uh, it's a small fraternity of the coaching world. So, again, you want that resume, that unofficial resume of how people view you to be as strong as possible. Right, right. And, yeah, no, it, it, it definitely it, – everybody's always watching, and whatever you do in the dark is going to come out in the light eventually. So you got you to gotta do the right thing. The, um. For in in the coaching world, it's tough to see your family, and I I think you you know I follow you on Instagram, you follow me, all that type of stuff. You have a a great family, and I think you do a good job of balancing it. That this is something that I'm kind of always interested in on how coaches do it, because I think it's something that in the coaching world is is tough to do, and sometimes maybe they, you know, you don't get the opportunities to do it. But w- what do you do to make sure you have a good balance with your family? And, and basketball. I think this is the most challenging part of being a coach is trying to maintain that. Um, you know, I, I'd like to think I'm doing a decent job with it, but I, I think probably myself and, and maybe most coaches would admit that there's always better that they could do with it. Um, I think you just have to make a conscious, conscious choice to be present with your family as much as possible. Um, you know, there's been times for me where I'm sitting there with family and, you know, you've been working a lot recently and then you get home and, 
and you're so easily pulled into, all right, you know, uh, somebody wants me to look at some film on, mm-hmm. on Twitter of a kid or go on the huddle and, you know, it's just being able to put down the phone, right, and, and, and being present in the moment with your family. So I've tried so hard to, to do that um, to the best of my ability as much as I can. Um, so I think, again, it's just, it's just committing yourself to that, you know, it's committing yourself to, you know, making sure that, um, you know, you're the husband you need to be, you're the father you need to be. I have two young boys at home, age five and three, that, you know, mean everything to me. So try as much as I can to, you know, while I still think I have a little bit of that assistant work ethic, assistant coach work ethic, which I think, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, gives some success there from a, from a work standpoint, you know, you still want to be able to turn that switch on and off a little bit to make sure that you're, you know, you're giving your family what they need because, you know, they're, they're really what it's all about. I mean, you're doing this to provide for your family and, um, you know, without, without them, none of this means anything. Yeah. And, and I think the pandemic kind of brought that into the light where it kind of slowed everything down and you guys weren't able to go out on the road and recruit and you spent a lot of time with your family because if people aren't in coaching, they're really not going to understand it, but you're going to miss birthdays. You're going to miss weddings. You're going to miss certain events and and you do your job. You know, obviously you're not going to miss your kid's birthday, but I'm saying like in in general, like maybe an aunt or a cousin or stuff like that, you're going to miss things, life events that normal people that have normal nine to fives can easily get to. So it's, to your point, it's it's probably just about making time and, and being present and, and trying to just kind of touch every event you can touch. Of course, of course. Like you said, it's not a nine-to-five job. So when you're there and when you're present, like you really have to be. Right. And you have to make sure that they understand that uh, that you're there for them. So, again, for, for my wife, Daniela, and my kids, Nicholas and Matthew, I mean, they're, they're – uh, they're the world to me. So you just got to make sure that you're, you're doing the best you can. Definitely. Definitely. We're coming up on that 45 minute mark. So the last thing we do coach healing on shop talk is, is we do shout outs. So basically how it works is we let the guests shout out whoever they want, their family, their friends, their staff, whoever they want to do. And then after you go, I go, I shout out a couple of people and that's how we kind of conclude the show. So with that being said, anyone you want to shout out, I know I just mentioned my family, but you know it, it's been such a such a difficult year for everybody, right? I mean, mm-hmm. um, and I know my wife, uh, who's at home, you know, doing virtual learning with uh, <laughs> my son, who just started kindergarten. He's virtual today as, as we talk. Wow. So, you know, it's been such a such a hard thing to manage. You know, everybody in the house at the same time, working virtually, doing different things, and you know, I can't. You know, I'm just thankful to have somebody like her who gets it who, you know, is just constantly working in her own way with, with our kids all the time. And um, you mentioned the staff, and I know I mentioned it earlier, but just so thankful for our staff that we have here at Pace. And those guys do a great job. You know, Ed Ryan's been with me since the beginning uh, here at Pace and has been instrumental in what we've been doing. And um, I know he's going to make a great head coach one day. And John Merceus, I mean, he's, he's such a bright, up-and-coming star in our business. Mm-hmm. And I know he's going to – He's going to be in this profession for a long time and, and be very successful. And, and Coach Sean Regatti has been with me since Vassar. You know, he's yeah. he's also done a great job for us. So just, uh, you know, love those guys. So thankful for all of them. Definitely, definitely. Uh, I'm going to shout out my family as well. I'm going to shout out Chop Talk. 
Uh, Matt, you you might have eaten here, but I got to shout out my boys at Pizza Palace, best uh, chicken roll in uh, Morris County. Always got to shout those dudes out. Um, Are they a sponsor? Yeah, yeah, unofficial sponsor. So every time I go back in there, they they get fired up because they hear me uh, shout them out. So they're a little bit kind of a sponsor. So I think we got to shout out Randolph in general, don't we? Yeah, yeah, definitely got to shout out Randolph. Definitely got to shout out Randolph. Shout out Shabo for being a pain in the ass for Coach Healing. When uh, when all those did those good days back in the day, that but... lost that lo- I mean, you know, after all these years, right? All these years, thirteen <laughs> years in total for me now coaching. Uh, that loss in the county tournament all the way back in uh, two thousand nine yeah. or two thousand nine, whatever year it was. I mean, that still that still sits with me today. Your senior year. So. Yeah, it's, it sits with me too. It sits with Shabo too. He talks about it when we're at the park and stuff. I gotta calm him down. But uh, yeah, that was <laughs> that was a tough one. I was gonna bring it up, but it got brought up. You know. You can only do so much if you don't have the Brock in your hands. But, uh, no, it's been fun, Coach Yelling. We appreciate you being the first head coach on Shop Talk and really coming on and dropping some great knowledge. Of course, man. You're doing a great job, and good luck this year, Greg. Thank you. Absolutely.